Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the founder and CEO of Amenities Health, Awesome Saeed. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. You and I were able to chat a little bit at Health a few weeks back, which was great. And uh, that kind of kicked off uh, you know, our relationship. And we're like, we need to have you on the show now. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk more about Amenities. Yeah, sure. I yeah, it was a great conversation. I'm excited to have it again so soon. Um, so awesome, Saeed, as you said. Um, my background is kind of educationally medicine and public policy. So I did those two things as a joint degree, um, but I never practiced clinical medicine. So soon after, I kind of fell in love with big macro level things. Um, and so instead of a clinical residency, I always say I had my my residency was at McKinsey. Uh, at McKinsey, I served large U.S. healthcare systems almost exclusively, and so I spent a lot of time on the business side of healthcare. Um, from McKinsey, I jumped to my first startup, which I was a co-founder of as well. Uh, it was actually in fintech, and if you're wondering what is a doctor doing in fintech, so were my parents. They were also wondering what the hell I was doing for that time, but it was an opportunity, and frankly for me, formative in the sense that I kind of fell in love with product. And so I kind of fancy myself more of a product person now than anything else. Um, and then that sunset um, as an early stage acquisition by H&R Block. And then finally, uh, the last four years prior to amenities, I was very fortunate, uh, just kind of dumb luck. I ended up leading a large healthcare systems innovation group. And uh, so at Baylor Scott and White, I led what was called the digital health office which started out pretty modest, but by my departure in 2021, it was about the third largest innovation group behind Providence and UPMC. And so we had a lot of resources at our disposal, a lot of momentum with the leadership team there to really revolutionize the products that we were building and, and very proud of that work. But that's what led me then to amenities now. And so that's my background, health systems, consulting, product, and clinical medicine and public policy. And and you had in your your title uh, when you were in the in the health system uh, when you were working in the health system that magic word digital which is my favorite part of the titles to see in uh, in health systems because you it typically means that people in that role have the challenge of you know implementing these digital strategies and and how everything ties in which you know there there are obviously a ton of great health systems. Some are, some are kind of, you know, more forward than others. So um, some of my favorite people to speak with are the people that had anything to do with digital at health systems. T talk us through how, how that, ex so obviously that was great experience for you. Um, talk us through how that translated then into, okay, you're at amenities now. Give us that, that overview now of, of the company and uh, really what direction you're, you're hoping to take the company in. Sure. Um, well, amenities is connected to that work, first and foremost. So the way can the elevator pitch one liner is amenities is a digital front door and patient loyalty pro, uh, platform for starting with very much large U.S. healthcare systems and especially ones on Epic. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But the reasons we say those two things, digital front door and patient loyalty is because I don't think they're exclusive for us. It kind of changes us in the Venn diagram of the market here. So one is digital front door. I think that's a common thing that a lot of people are looking at these days. For us, that means um, a mobile application website that help you get new patients off the street into your system. So we register patients into your Epic system and we, be, we make them patients. 
Um, and then we say patient loyalty also because unlike I think a lot of digital front doors that we see in the market, they're not thinking about the long term here and the relationship with that brand. So, for example, we are trying to elongate that experience with a patient and build literally direct to consumer subscription memberships that say, hey, that patient is now invested in that relationship. So on top of acquiring new customers, our platform is very focused on saying, how do we extend the relationship between the brand of our healthcare system clients and the patients that they serve and think about lifetime value overall instead of just acquisition costs. And when you when you have these conversations with health systems, what has been their response, level of excitement? Um, what, I guess, what feedback have you received? You know, one thing that I guess maybe will or won't be shocking to hear is that everyone talks about patient loyalty, but literally no one has any definition for it. There's, there, I haven't met a health system in the country that can quantify what is patient loyalty, what is the lifetime value. There's less than five health systems I know that even understand customer acquisition cost. And that's not a knock on them. It's just not their business, right? There's obviously marketing folks that are very sophisticated and know how SEO, paid search, and all those things work. But the problem is marketing is typically isolated from the ability to actually know the financial value of that patient. Did they convert? So in other words, like health systems are buying all these ads on Google and they have no idea if those patients ever showed up. They know if they bought a click because they paid for it. They don't know if they booked an appointment. They don't know if they showed up to that appointment. They don't know if they stayed in network when they needed the surgery type of thing. And so it's, again, everyone knows patient loyalty as a concept. What we're trying to do is saying, here's exactly how we measure it. So like Amazon Prime doesn't try to, or Amazon, sorry, doesn't try to think, well, are they loyal patients? If they bought Prime, Trust me, they're loyal, right? Like there was a time when I would go to Walmart more than I went to Amazon to buy something. But once Prime hit, once two-day shipping and free returns hit, that day ended. And I step foot into a Walmart twice a year now, but I buy every week, if not every other day from Amazon. And that's the level of loyalty that is core to our hypothesis, is that if health systems can quantify and build a business case around loyalty, which we help them do, then now they have a reason to invest in and compete on experience. And that's really the premise. So even though we serve health systems, it's really kind of this, this ploy to help improve the experience inside of healthcare. And I think that needs to go through health systems because there's not a world where health systems don't serve the majority of patients in this country. And obviously this, this vision that you have, your, your mission and, and what you're building here, uh, that attributed to you recently closing a, a new round of funding, uh, which is, I, I think actually that's how we originally got in touch. I saw the announcement, we reached out and we, we kind of chatted about it. Again, congratulations. Uh, tell our audience, you know, what was the level of excitement from the team and what that funding will basically, you know, what you're willing to share, allow amenities to, to do. Sure. Yeah, we're very excited. We have incredible partners. So one is uh, Epic Ventures out of Salt Lake City. They led our seed round. And they participated uh, super pro rata in this round as well. Um, the second round was led by a customer, actually Memorial Care Innovation Fund. And so Memorial Care is obviously a huge validation in what we're trying to do. They are a health system fund. They believe in what we do. And I've known the, the team there for quite a while, but this was a huge boost of confidence. Um, and so we've raised just under $10 million. I think we're still you know, modest and, and kind of a very small concentrated team. But yeah, the, the team was thrilled because I think first and foremost, any signal this summer of a fundraise is a good one. And so we got a lot of those congratulations, like I can't believe you raised, and in which case we'll take it. We, you know, it's like, we're happy to provide that signal that we're trying to do something real here. Um, but 
Uh, yes, what will it allow us to do? It will allow us to expand. So I, I think we have, we left, um, I left Baylor Scott and White about two years ago. And a lot of this first year and a half was just building out what, what we envisioned. And now I think we're ready to take it to market. So you're going to see a lot more of us. Hopefully you see us uh, in places like this. Very excited to meet you and, and be on Slice. Um, but then also just be more relevant in the market because I think we're incredibly proud of the product. I think we have the best product in market when it comes to digital front door, but not everyone even knows we exist. And that's something we got to fix right away. Um, and then, of course, it'll go to more sophistication with our client teams, uh, extending the product and doing really cool new things. With I'm, I'm really excited for you and the team. Uh, that's that's super exciting. And yeah, uh, we, you know, we cover this. There were not many funding announcements. So again, kudos to you and the team which I think it was all also very, very powerful, right, for you to have that announcement in the summer. It, if anything, it gave you more attention because there were so, you know, versus two years ago where there was a deal happening, it seemed every week, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so really excited for you and the team. In terms of, you know, where do you see, let's talk a little bit about the market too, now that, now that we kind of brought it up. What are your thoughts on where things kind of are today? Obviously, much different market in healthcare, you know, especially with anything digital than two, even two years ago. Yeah, so I, I probably have, I'm over-opinionated on this area. And it's not just as a founder and what am I seeing and what was my experience. Um, keep in mind, two years ago, I was the buyer for four years, unfettered for every digital health thing. And, and what I've discovered on the other side, though, is also I, I may not have been the typical buyer, meaning... You, you heard my background and obviously I had enough uh, gumption or whatever it is to jump out and do something on my own. I'm very hypothesis driven. What does healthcare need and how do we fix it? And there's a ton of amazing technology, but there was a ton of amazing technology 10 years ago. I mean, I, I understand the fascination with ChatGPT and it's incredible to see what it, how good it's getting at lar large language models. But the reality is for me is like, what's the use case? And it feels like we're almost not starting there. Like 10 years ago, we did this with Watson. And then five years ago, I personally had to go vet every predictive analytics uh, model for sepsis for inpatient. And at the end of the day, we're going to try to find different things, but we're trying to throw technology at problems in healthcare when in fact, I'd rather start the other way, which is start with a problem and then go fix that. And the other thing, so th that's to say that like, I, I always, whenever I hear of a new company doing X with AI or something, I always ask, great, what problem is that solving? And then I have very strong opinions about, is that a real problem? Is there enough momentum? And the other example I often give is, you know, there was a lot of, um, not hype, but a lot of momentum behind automation when I first started at Baylor. So not just AI, but just bots and other things in the fashion of like Olive, which obviously made an announcement today is, is kind of seeing the end of its days. Uh, Notable is doing well and others. But the reality, at least my experience inside of Baylor was automation is a great tool. Every industry should be using it. And there's entirely um, uh, absurd amount of manual digital kind of uh, work being done that could be replaced by automation. The challenge is if you're going to say it saves cost, it assumes the last step of reducing headcount. And that is so taboo that just we just didn't see it happen. And so ultimately, you've automated things but kept the people and again, it's an, it's an unsavory conversation, but it has to happen to where like, are you buying an outcome of cost reduction or are you buying automation? And, and so I, I've really struggled with that in the market. And for those reasons, I think when the market turns down, you're just going to see a lot of these things disappear. I mean, we talked to another founder friend who said when they serve digital health companies, literally half their revenue disappeared this summer. So it's not like 
it's not already taking effect that like until you can prove demonstrable value and you start with an ROI and you start with a business case, there's just going to be a lot of separation is my sense. And so, you know, again, it's a great signal. We obviously uh, it's a little bit biased saying that we, we had that signal that we're talking about here. Um, but it's also this sounds weird to say it's also a good time to be small because a lot of these things don't have to be massive to be successful. But they were doing that two years ago, no matter what, because the money was out there and there was an opportunity. And so, you know, you're always going to make lemonade, but I think to be small and to raise now with good partners is a blessing and we're very thankful. Yeah, I mean, and, and they took it, right? I'm not saying, I'm not knocking what some of these founders yeah. did the last couple of years, but, you know, if you look out even three years ago, you had people after they just had a big raise, raising another 50 to 100 million and like, go, 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 go. And then, you know, not, not entirely their fault. The market shifted a bit. And, and now it's like, geez, to, were we even showing an ROI at that time? Because everyone wanted to build into the ROI, right? That was the big thing. And now it's like, what's the ROI immediately versus what ROI are you going to build into? So uh, I really like your, your thoughts on that for sure. In, in terms of you, you kind of already said this in terms of the funding, but what's next that you can share with us uh, for, for the company as we head into the, the end of 2023 and head into the beginning of 2024? So we've, I, I think we have a, a very strong value proposition around digital front door and the market's going to see that here very soon with some clients getting live. And, and again, I, I, I would defend that and very incredibly proud of it. And we also have that track record from our days at Baylor Scott and White. So my BSW Health was an unbelievable tool. And I think that's where we got a lot of early traction is because we had a track record, frankly. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I sincerely believe, and this was always the case at Baylor and is true everywhere else now, is a pretty app doesn't solve healthcare. And so we're very keen to get into that membership criteria. And what we're finding is, one, healthcare systems are starting to look around and say, hey, we have to start doing something different. So they're all starting to investigate new care models. And, and not terribly surprisingly, post-COVID, virtual-based care models with less capital outlay for big clinics and all this other stuff. But the reality is the heyday is kind of bad. That, that's not going to be that differentiated. There's a hundred different virtual care models. Now, these folks have brand, and obviously we're accounting for that. We're a fully white-labeled solution because we think their brands are powerful and the, the trust-building uh, brand we want to use, not our own. But at the same time, I think we are encouraging health systems and others to really ask patients. Now, this sounds insane and obviously crazy simple, but like ask patients, what are they looking for? So another thing that amenities does is we test the market for features. And these are all things that we know how to do and find with partners and other things that and we ask patients, would this work? Would this attract your business? Would this be attractive in a membership? Would this earn your loyalty? And what we're finding is those aren't the obvious answer. They're not access. Access is a huge problem in healthcare. But one of the biggest concerns, a little bit more guttural concern, is bankruptcy, finances. And so we are exploring and building memberships that are encouraging health systems to say, hey, you need to earn the trust back of healthcare consumers that stop utilizing as much as they were in the past from COVID. And part of that is they realize, hey, I don't have to go in. And B, if I do, it was really nice not getting that surprise bill uh, that last time kind of thing. And so I think we are really emphasizing and encouraging our customer base and the entire market to really think about loyalty in A, quantifiable subscription memberships, and then B, with non-traditional features like financial guarantees, transparency about pricing, or even scoring some of their doctors, because 
frankly, whenever we test it, those are the things that come up highest in the consumer results. And so we're not doing this on a whim. We're not just saying, what would we like patients to have? I think healthcare is very guilty of often saying, we want patients to have care management. I don't know a patient that ever woke up one day and said, man, I really hope I get my care management today. Like, it's just, we need to, if you're going to be consumer centric, patient centric, you just got to ask them and they'll tell you whether things are good or bad that they want. And so that's, that's what we're excited about next is building out memberships, really proving that loyalty is achievable in this industry. You said two of my, my favorite words, just ask. I tell the team, I tell anyone want something. If you want to build something great, just ask, right? So it's, it's, it's not that simple, right? But uh, many things in life, if you just ask, it really can set you up for a much better outcome. Well, in this case, I would say just ask and then be willing. And by the way, we were, we, I, I left Baylor Scott and White thinking I wanted to build a membership and it should be in the home. That did terribly in all of our surveys. Not terribly as in like we should never do it, but it was way below these financial things. And so I would say the other side of just ask is then listen, be prepared to listen and let go of what your assumptions were when the data tells you something else. And so when we did that, we were like, whoa, these financial things are really interesting. We're seeing a spike. You know, we dug into why. And the thing was the most, the, the biggest concern, even though access is up there, access is number three or four for most patients, cost was number one. And so if we're, we just keep ignoring that because I think health systems and others are saying, well, we can't do anything about it. The contracts are the contracts. I'm like, that's not true. That's uncreative. We can do something about that. Let's give them the assurances. Let's address their problems, not the problems we want to solve for them. Well, uh, I, I really enjoyed our conversation here today. We'll have to have you come back on in the near future and we can dig in some more. But once again, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. 